Welcome to Watching Trees Grow, a podcast by Troutwood, hosted by Jean Natali, co-founder and CEO of Troutwood. Watching Trees Grow is here to help Gen Z plant the seed for a sustainable and stable financial future. If you'd like to discover more from Troutwood, our speaker series is designed to work side-by-side with the Troutwood suite of investment, educational, and financial planning tools. Please visit troutwood.com to learn more. Now, here's Gene Natali. Welcome to Troutwood Live, episode six. I am Gene Natali, host of, of Live. Very special guest is joining us today, uh, Will Maston with Raytheon Technologies. Will, welcome to Troutwood Live. Thank you. Happy to be here. This is a really cool thing you guys do. Oh, my, I, my smile may be giving away my excitement at asking you some questions here, Will. Uh, first, for everyone watching or listening um, remotely, where are you right now? Where, where in the country? Oh, I am in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, right outside DC. Excellent. And um, we, we're going to dive into Will's background, which is just fascinating. We're going to dive into his current work. Um, before doing so, kind of sticking to the, the theme and the structure of live, we're going to introduce our finance topic of the week, which Will has tied into his presentation and is a, a fantastic term, the word fiduciary. So a fiduciary is an individual with a legal obligation to act in the best interest of the person or the organization they work. Will, I've seen your presentation. I'm looking forward to having that conversation. It's, um, it's a term that isn't used very often. Thank you. Yeah. The reason why I picked that is because I think that it kind of ties to being a good steward as a business person in general. You know, it has a legal term, but it's bigger than that. The legal obligation is a, is a big deal when, when you say the word fiduciary. For sure. Before we dive into your presentation, I'm going to have all of our uh, viewers, our guests head over to the Troutwood map because a, a picture helps to, I think, introduce what a cool company you work for and our, our students always get a little bit of a head start at, at trying to find our guest company Raytheon on the map. I'm going to pull up my screen here and we are going to fly in very quickly to Raytheon. Super cool company. Uh, one of my favorite fact sheets that we have on the Troutwood map and Will, I'm excited to uh, see what you have to say about uh, some of the products and some of, some of your experiences. Let me stop because your your story is fascinating. I have a lot of questions for you. I'm going to just stop and let you introduce yourself. Uh, and I promise I'm going to be interrupting with questions. And I think we'll have a, a lot of questions from our live audience today as well. Will, take it away for an introduction. Absolutely. Uh, so let's see. I need to pull up my slides here. All right. So, yeah, I work for Raytheon Technologies, but uh, I'm actually fairly new there. I've only been there for about two years. So I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and I was one of those people, I was in high school when 9-11 occurred. And so um, it was a, an interesting time, and a lot of people thought, you know, I, I need to serve, I need to contribute. And I was one of those people. Well, for um, any, I, I was a, a similar time frame, but for some of our students, what, what was 9-11? So 9-11 was the, the date when the Twin Towers were attacked by uh, Al Qaeda. Um, they, you know, Bin Laden had this group of, of terrorists that were trying to attack the West, and so they they flew airplanes with regular civilians on board uh, into a couple buildings in the Twin Towers and also the Pentagon. Uh, yeah. 
It, it's, one, it's one of those moments in history where you remember precisely where you were when that news first break. I, I graduated college in 2001 and um, yeah, you, you don't forget much about that time period. I was in Spanish class in 10th grade and uh, my teacher turned on the TV and we could see it there. It was, it was really, uh, you know, everyone's, it was very confusing time. Did they, did you stay in school? Did they let school out early that day? Yep. Yep. Went home and everybody just kind of braced. They didn't know what to expect coming next. Just kind of crazy. And there was a, a window of time there where, where a plane had been redirected towards Pittsburgh. Uh, we, we were evacuated out of, the, out of the city as well. So, well, we grew up in, I grew up in Pittsburgh with you. Um, I see that the Carnegie Mellon MBA on, on the page in front of me also. Yeah. So, so I went, did uh, ROTC, which I don't know if you guys know about it, but it's a, uh, it's not like uh, junior ROTC in high school um, because they actually pay for your college. It's during college. Uh, they pay for everything. So I was able to go to college at GW uh, totally debt free. So if you guys uh, look into that, it might be a good way to go. Uh, my family couldn't really afford GW. My dad was like, you could go to a state school uh, or take on debt. And I said, you know what, this is this is a better third option. So let but, me um, just very explicitly ask, uh, how much did you have to pay for college, Curtis, with that experience? Just my food. So a couple, couple thousand dollars total. Students <laughs> listening, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah, yeah, it was a great deal. It was good. Can, can and you, you get so a job right a couple, In the chat box, Will, we have a couple of students saying, what is ROTC? Could you just go a little deeper into what ROTC specifically is? Sure. It's called Reserve Officer Training School, and it is a uh, organization that's a part of the, you know, the Navy, part of the Army, uh, part of the Air Force. Each of the services have their own versions, and they're at regular schools. So if you want to be an officer, in one of those services, the Army, Navy, uh, you have three options. You could either go to one of their their actual official uh, schools like West Point, uh, or you could go to ROTC where they pay for your college. And then the third option is after you graduated college, just joining as an officer. So those are the three options. I think that the ROTC was the best version because you still get to live the life as a regular student and it's free, but then you get to join the military afterwards. So that was cool for me. Well, let me say thank you for your service. Uh, I'm going to ask our live audience to put some hand clapping in that chat box because um, that is something we should never take lightly. Thank you uh, quite sincerely. Well, how many years were you in the service following ROTC? So 10 years, 10 years uh, flying uh, aircraft helicopters for most of that time. But it's yeah, it's a lot of fun. That is cool, and I won't interrupt with questions at the moment about flying airline helicopters as a Navy pilot. Um, I have questions for later on that. Yeah, absolutely. So after that, I uh, I got married and I had a, a daughter, and the the life of the military is is very tough. Uh, you know, my hats off to the people that make it work. Um, I wanted to to spend time with my family and my my daughter. And so I thought, okay, I need to transition out of the military and do something, but I still want to serve. And so I got my MBA uh, back in Pittsburgh because I missed it after, you know, being deployed all over the, the world. I wanted to say, you know, come back to my home. 
And then uh, I went and joined Raytheon. And so I was able to still serve uh, those who are serving. So they still get to contribute in some way to, to the military. From, from my observation as a, as a citizen, Raytheon is a company that seems to make great investments in our military veterans. Is that fair to say, Will? Yes, yes. Um, they, they take a priority to hiring veterans, though it's certainly not exclusive to veterans. They, you know, they love engineers as well because they make some pretty cool things. I'm excited to, to see some of those, those cool things, Will. Absolutely. All right, so I can shift to the kind of an intro a bit about Raytheon Technologies and what they do. And so they've been around, we have uh, you know Pratt & Whitney, which is very well known for building engines. We have uh, Collins Aerospace, which makes all kinds of cool components as does Raytheon. And, and uh, these companies have merged in the past year. Uh, so both were about Fortune 100s before and then combined I think they're in a fortune 50 now there it's become a much larger company with these with the two powerhouses combined it could be wrong on the ranking but it's it's pretty high up there in terms of just the size so i wanted to also show you guys some of the cool stuff that they've made that i've been involved in so uh as gene was saying it was a helicopter pilot i flew the, the mh60 romeo at, which is a basically the Navy version of the Black Hawk. And we had some really cool systems on there actually created by Raytheon. Uh, the first one is that I'd like to show you guys is the FLIR, which is forward looking infrared. It's basically a telescope mounted on the front of your helicopter that can see over five miles, like a, a person walking around in pitch black. It's, it's crazy. And Will, Al, any of the students who still have the Troutwood map up, uh, FLIR, or FLIR is a company on the map. So they can take that F-L-I-R that they see on the screen, enter in the search bar, and, and check out some pretty cool images. Nice. So oh. at, you've shown two videos introducing Raytheon's technology. And when I see those, a, a thought pops in. You, a Navy pilot, past lieutenant, are working in mm -hmm. finance one of the largest defense contractors. There are, we can take our passions and our hobbies in a lot of different directions. Is that fair to say when we watch a video of, you said the word, cool, I'm gonna echo it, cool technology. Yeah, it, it's, I think that there's no limit to what anyone can do in terms of transitioning at any time. Uh, I, I actually took my inspiration from my mom, uh, who she was a, a math, major in college and then she got her mba at pitt um, back and became a, a finance person for a, a big company in pittsburgh way back before women were in finance at all we're talking like the 70s and then um after my brother and i graduated from from high school and went to college she went back to school again and became a medical doctor so that was like in her 50s your mom was a pioneer on two fronts yes She's, she's an amazing lady. And so, you know, it's never too late to, you know, try something new, do something different. It's very cool, you know, very cool. I love that. It's never too late to say thank you to our moms. Um, uh, so students, that's a, a giant hint from Will right there. Round of applause for the incredible influence that all of our moms are in our life. And a shout out to my wife, Whitney, the incredible mom that she is. 
Well, I see on this. I, I, I actually, I'm not going to interrupt you yet. Keep going. This is this is too fun. So, uh, if you see MK54 torpedo, that's also something we use, and that is um, incredibly. It, it, it's a game changer in terms of hunting submarines. So, one of the crazy things we did on our helicopters, we actually protected the strike group, which is kind of the collection of ships. We protected that group of ships. Uh, from submarines because subs are very sneaky and very quiet and they try to sneak up on you. Uh, and one of the tools we had was that Mark 54 torpedo. And what made it so game changing is that it was a digital software based torpedo. Uh, historically, these torpedoes were almost like very, very fancy Swiss watches where they had analog decision making processes. So they literally would you know, if it got a particular type of sensor hit on its sonar, it would do a particular thing. And it's complicated. I mean, it could do a lot of things, but it was very, you know, it was a very basic system. And so taking it to the digital era, putting software on that, you know, was a game changer in terms of how it could search for submarines and make sure it doesn't attack friendly, friendly ships. So Raytheon makes that. Well, I'm going to share a picture that you uh, sent me over beforehand. And I'm going to, I, I don't, I think this is potentially a, an older missile in, in your picture, but I have a picture of a helicopter with a missile. And yeah. I, and I want to ask our audience in this picture, I can see someone sitting in the cockpit of the helicopter. Who might that individual be? Will? Uh, that's me. Let me just like how cool, right? <laughs> um, well, what is happening in this picture? Is so that video, software technology, or is this before the software technology? So this this is a it's called a Hellfire missile, and it uses that video of the FLIR with the big camera. That so basically what happens is that camera looks at the target. You're able to designate the target with that you know, crazy camera, and then the missile goes to where the camera's looking. Amazing. And so that it's, it's cra crazy. I don't know how they did it, but it's, it's awesome. So does a picture like this, is it the screensaver on your computer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very cool. Might be my, my Facebook profile picture as well. Oh, I, I <laughs> well, I don't have I don't have a story that comes anywhere close to that in my entire history. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's also a lot of work because you want to be able to use it safely. And there's so many, you know, you want to use this stuff effectively and safely. And so you have to be so careful, you know. So if it, like it's a lot of work. Is it is it I assume it's a combination of physical and mental. Not Absolutely. just one. Uh, I, Flight school was was about two years, and then tactics training was a whole nother year just to get into a sea-going deployable squadron. And, you know, once you get to your squadron, you're just beginning the process of really becoming a tactical expert. So it's a, you know, it's kind of a lifelong learning process as a, as a military pilot. You're constantly honing your skills, both physically and mentally. When when you are flying a helicopter, someone who's never 
done that. Um, does technology make it where, like, if I'm driving my car, I can almost just steer with my fingertips now? Is it the same with the helicopter? Or yes, it's getting crazy. You know, wow. when I when I was first uh, introduced, I think the military has a little bit of the perspective of, you know, an old time father teaching someone how to drive a car. You know, they give you the clunkiest most manual vehicle they can give you to learn how to parallel park. But then once you graduate to the, you know, you're in the fleet, you're actually deploying, everything's electronic, everything's autopilot. It's crazy how, um, for example, say you're doing search and rescue and you need to hover somewhere in really bad seas. You have a, a radar system that'll shoot a signal down to the water because you need to hover above the water and send a, a you know, a rescue swimmer down to go rescue that person and then bring them back up. It'll time, it'll, the whole system will match the, and it hold altitude with the oceans as, as you hover there. It'll hold the hover, it'll hold you safely in position, which is crazy, but super helpful because it's, uh, you know, it's very dangerous sometimes. Can't see bad weather. When you so say hover, Will, so as the I'm imagining the helicopter hovering, hovering in conjunction with the height of the waves below. Yes, exactly. You know, it's it's one thing over land; it's a whole other ball game over a moving ocean with big waves. So it kind of keeps you safe, keeps you clear of the big waves. What, what one of our students has? Uh, did, uh, what all have you flown? So I've flown the T thirty four which is a training plane. It kind of looks like an old, uh, it's called a turboprop, but it looks like an old World War II uh, plane. So they teach you that first uh, before they graduate you to the, the helicopters where it's a little bit more complicated. Then you fly what's called the, uh, um, it's basically a Bell Jet Ranger, which is a, like the news chopper for reporting on traffic. It's that, it's a little helicopter but everything's manual on it. And then they graduate you to the actual fleet aircraft, which I went into, uh, you know, this H-60, but other people, they'll go into uh, C-130s. Some people will go to fighter planes. So you kind of get more advanced as you go. Really cool. Well, that's a shout out to Cameron Smith. It was curious. One of our students watching live was curious what you have flown. Thanks for the question, Cameron. Sadly, not the B-52. That's a cool plane, though. Well, let's take it back to your presentation here, because I know you have some good slides coming up, and, and I have about half a dozen questions already written down here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they make a bunch of other things, too. You know, their claim to fame back in the 40s was radar, um, and they still make that. If you see, it says radars for FAA and the U.S. government. When I came and joined Raytheon, that's actually one of the main programs that I worked on. Um, and they build radars for, you know, just maintaining the airspace above our country. So it's a huge aspect of safety. It's a massive contract for them as well. Uh, I also put the SM3 because they did something that had never been done before with that. It is a, a missile that they use to shoot down a satellite, which satellites go very, very fast. They're big, you know, faster than missiles most of the time. So it's really incredible that they're they're at that level of technology. Um, would it be okay to, to flip to the, the helmet video? 
Absolutely. Uh, students, this is really cool. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to wear a $400,000 helmet on your head, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I never used this system uh, in our helicopter. We just had regular helmets. So this is for the F-35, which is the, you know, cream of the crop, brand new fighter plane for the next, next couple decades. Students, Google F-35 if you want to see some, some cool pictures. Uh, well, there's something that was very interestingly said in the video, and to anyone listening without the video, this was a very futuristic looking helmet, and the data that was being displayed on the screen, close your eyes and imagine seeing a combination of data and x-ray slash night vision. And I think the gentleman said, if you look down, you can see through the bottom of the plane. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, it's almost like uh, you can buy right now virtual reality kind of headsets that will display something for you. But this takes it to the next level because it's live and it's the sensors on your aircraft. So as you look around, you're literally seeing through these you know, infrared cameras. It's almost like you can see an infrared as you're looking around. Very cool. Ooh, helicopter, my helicopter cost about $45 million. Uh, that was a great question from one of our students. How much does a helicopter cost? I've just flashed across. <laughs> my, I had a friend of mine who crashed in a helicopter and we used to, he survived, everyone was fine. We used to joke about how he'd have to pay it back in installments. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's an expensive mistake for sure. It wasn't his fault though, but a story for another day, I think. Oh, I've, I look forward to hearing that story. I'm glad, first of all, that he was okay as well. Yeah. So um, I wanted to tie a little bit of kind of what Raytheon's mission is with kind of the word of the day and also something that's really important to me, which is uh, service. Um, so, they already had a great definition up there in the, the intro, but as a fiduciary, um, someone is responsible uh, to support clients on their behalf. So basically put the client's interest first. Um, and I think that while that's a legal definition, I think that also applies in a broader sense of being a good steward, being a good uh, business and really supporting your customers. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about service um, from a, a broader perspective. So I think a lot of people think of service, and Gene, you even said this, you said, thank you for your service, which I definitely appreciate. But I think service is much is very broad, and I think people are able to serve in countless ways every single day. And I think it's also kind of having a service mindset is very powerful. Uh, no job in on this earth is glorious every single day you know even when i'm flying helicopters i still had to i had hundreds of flashcards memorizing arcane knowledge about the fuel pump system you know so there's definitely no matter what job you have it's going to be hard it's going to be struggling sometimes and to have that mindset of what is the bigger picture what am i doing here you know how, Am I doing something worthwhile and supporting other people that gives you, that empowers you to kind of push through the hard parts? Um, 
And well, the nice thing about service is it's something that I appreciate your comments there because it is something every student can do. Uh, it's yeah. such a wide definition. Yes, and I, I think you can even think of it broader than serving in terms of serving at a soup kitchen. Uh, I think of entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs have a servant perspective because they say, you know, what are the hard problems that need to be solved? How, what needs are there that aren't being met? And how do I, how do I put people to solutions? How do I make that connect? Um, you know, Elon Musk, perfect example of an entrepreneur that's really changed the world. You know, there's value in him going to a soup kitchen. But there's also value in the value of his company and what it's done for, for everyone in terms of batteries, in terms of kind of going to the next level of even getting to Mars. He's done a lot. So I think there's a combination of both. Um, and obviously, the fire. Armstrong, let me say real quick, we'll just interrupt. We see across the screen that Julie Armstrong uh, says both of her grandparents serve. Thank you, Julie, for the service of your grandparents. Will, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, and so I think, you know, even financial advisors certainly is less heroic than, than run it, rushing into a fire, but it's very, very challenging. Uh, you know, you need, for example, you need a lot of qualifications, college degrees, uh, even master's degrees sometimes, but it's serving your clients. It's helping people uh, be able to save for a family or a house or even retire, which they might not be able to do otherwise. And so in terms of a, a mission statement for you guys, if I could, is try to look for ways you can serve. Um, you're never too young to try to start a business. People do it all the time in high school. Um, educating yourself is also a huge aspect. Because as I was saying with the, you know, as a fiduciary, as a finance person, you can't just walk into that job. You have to really be educated uh, and be able to do a good job to support your clients. And so, Education is absolutely vital. It's a way to empower you to help others. Well, wow, we have a lot of people serving. That's awesome. Yeah. Education is an incredible equalizer. And it is, uh, well, some of the emails we get from our student audience, uh, the talent that they have at such a young age, uh, one gives me a great deal of optimism for our future as a society, but it supports your comment there. Um, there, there are no barriers to education if you can pursue it. Absolutely. That's something that's really amazing about America that it's not true everywhere, but it's definitely true here. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got a bunch of questions kind of lined up. Can we dive into them or? Yes. yes. No, let's, let's do it. Um, so we, this is in our, our chat, our live chat has been firing, but I, I'm going to, I've got five here and we'll, um, see how we're looking after these first five. This is Amelia, she's a fourth grader, asking, are you one of the people who builds or designs equipment that our military needs? No, <laughs> it's a very cool job. And uh, I work with the guys that do make those things, uh, the engineers, the scientists, but I play a, a different, very important role, which is to make sure they do it with the budget constraints given. And so, I don't know if you guys know much about engineers, but they love making amazing things and the cost is a secondary. And so my job is to help them do it in budget so that uh, the taxpayers don't pay an arm and a leg for their helmets. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you just said engineer, scientist. We've already talked military. You're in the finance. That yeah. is four different fields to work for a really cool company. For our students who are thinking any of those four potential occupations. I, I love this next question. This is from Caden. Caden's a third grader asking, does Raytheon always have enough supplies to help the military build what it needs? It's actually a really tough thing for us to do. Uh, we only source from American companies because of the security concerns of the equipment that we have. Um, and so, you know, you can go to, if you get Nike shoes, they can come from China or Indonesia or many other countries. But if you're building hardware that uh, service members are going to use, you want to make sure it is safe and secure and also is kind of supporting industry here in the United States. And so we have to search high and low for suppliers in America. And sometimes that's actually pretty hard, but that's one of the things that's great about Raytheon. It is supporting a lot of local small businesses all over the, the US. Uh, I, so the, I, I love that, that supply chain of how our ecosystems work. La last week we spoke with an engineer from Ingersoll Rand and she had mentioned that Ingersoll Rand works with about 100,000 small businesses. And I would speculate Raytheon isn't far behind. Yes, we, from experts on the individual level to massive companies, we work with Lockheed, we work with, you know, the scientist that works out of his, out of his house. So we, we hire so many uh, and have so many subcontractors, it's crazy, but it's really, really, uh, it's incredible how it all comes together to, to serve. We have a question from Gabrielle, also a third grader. What was the, and this is a tough one, Will, if you don't answer, we can pass on this one. What was the most expensive piece of equipment Raytheon built? I don't know. I think, I think it's probably the F-35. I don't know if you guys saw that, that, that video in the very first part, it says it's the most expensive weapon system ever. Uh, and that's true, but we don't make all of it. Lockheed makes the airframe, but we make the engines with Pratt and Whitney. We also make the, the comm systems and the radar systems and a lot of the, the insights, the internals of what makes that thing fly. So it's very expensive. Our next question from Scarlett, a fifth grader, does Raytheon prefer for its employees to have a military background? Uh, no, no. I mean, they, they do love hiring veterans, but they recognize veterans have a particular skill and expertise. Uh, engineers have a very different skill and expertise and they need a lot of engineers. They're, they're doing things that haven't been done before. You know, so there's a lot of companies out there that make things better, make things cheaper. They're able to take it to scale. Raytheon is kind of the opposite of that, where it's saying this has never been done before. Let's, let's do it. And so it's very much on that cutting edge and you need a lot of smart people and you need a lot of, um, you know, people that are very specialized in engineering and computer science, uh, things like that, that really empower that next generation of equipment and tools. And Will, I'm going to keep us a little overtime here because we have a lot of questions. Um, here's a fun one. This is Maddie, also a third grader. In your opinion, Will, is it more important to focus on defense systems, cybersecurity, or drone technology at the moment? What a cool question. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, all the above is the answer. We do everything and we, cause it's all important. I think, you know, cyber is becoming more and more important and we do do cyber, but you know, 
boots on the ground, those guys need support as well. So we do all of the above. And we have a question from one of our teachers for a student who might be interested in kind of following your pathway or in this career, what pathway should they pursue? What advice would you have? I'd say start with a college degree that empowers you to do the job you want to do. And if you don't know what job you want to do, ask, start, start talking to people, talk to, you know, develop mentors, ask people, you know, your, your parents, friends, ask them, you know, how did you get to where you are? And what was the steps you made? And just explore, because you know there's a thousand ways to get anywhere. Uh, I had no idea I'd be at Raytheon uh, five years ago, you know, when I was still in the Navy. So <laughs> we've probably had half a dozen or so students ask, "Why did you choose Raytheon? What was it specifically about Raytheon?" It was a way for me to continue serving. Um, my I have a lot of friends that are still serving right now, um, and so it was a way for me to kind of use my expertise that I built in the military and still support those guys while, while also pursuing uh, my second career that doesn't require deployments and things like that. You know, so it, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yes, I have been on a Navy ship. I've been on, uh, our, our squadron was stationed on the Nimitz aircraft carrier, uh, which is out in the Pacific fleet. So, that, so let me let me follow up to Reagan's question there, Will. When you were on a Navy ship, you had mentioned that a helicopter can hover over waves. Do you feel the waves in the ship, or is it so big that you almost feel like you're on land? The carrier is is almost like dry land. It barely moves. So landing on that is fantastic. It's really easy. We also would deploy on small ships like destroyers and frigates. And, well, no frigates anymore. The, old, the FFG frigates... Uh, they would bounce around in the oceans like buoys. They would just kind of bob and weave and kind of go everywhere. And so trying to land on those guys was always uh, sporty. Uh, how fun for our students. Imagine, close your eyes, think of that helicopter picture we showed on the video. Will in the cockpit landing that on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Uh, Will, we have, I have one more question as we kind of look to to start to wrap up here, and this is a great question from one of the students, but why is the helmet so expensive? What makes a $400,000 helmet? It's largely the research and development. Uh, if you think about a Nike shoe, right? To, to make one Nike shoe could cost millions and millions of dollars because it's all of the, you know, the research and technology, it's all of the engineers, it's all of the supply chain people. But then when you take it to scale, that Nike shoe becomes $70, you know, because you're making millions of them and you're able to expand. For Raytheon, everything is very small scale and cutting edge. And so they don't have the ability to take it to scale. I mean, how many, there's only a couple hundred F-35s total. And so you're only making a couple hundred of these helmets. And so it's not able to reach that scalability that a lot of things can. Well, we just introduced another career, research and development. There are so many different ways to advance a passion. Um, so Julie Armstrong is asking a question on behalf of one of her students um, yeah. in the classroom at the moment. I, the, the student is asking, um, I thought the most expensive weapon blew up when some that, that we didn't, the camera wasn't polished. I'm not sure if you would know anything about that or not, but. No, I don't. Um... So Julie, on behalf of Jacob, we'll have to do a little bit of, bit of homework on that one. That could be uh, some good Google work going on uh, live here. 
there are a ton of more questions in the in the chat. Uh, well, I'm going to encourage students to just get to know Raytheon. We, we always finish. I'm gonna, I have my screen up here. I want to, for students who are, and, and a lot of them are asking, how do I be like Will right now? Um, so, Will, incredible influence. Thank you. This is the Raytheon fact sheet. Uh, educators, parents, students, we have a really awesome new news feed feature. Each week we upgrade the, the Troutwood map and the fact sheet. So have fun. Um, seeing what, what Raytheon's working on. But for everyone who wanted to say, how can I work at Raytheon? Go to the fact sheet, click Explore Careers. And there you go. I'll take the quote directly off of um, the website. Step into your, to your future here. Uh, join a team that's taking on the toughest challenges and you see a search bar. You can search by engineer, research. You can, I mean, Raytheon's based all over the world. So what a neat, neat company. Um, to be involved with yeah it's really well, incredible. yeah well i want to well i want to give you the the just the kind of the microphone for closing comments and you've got a captive audience of students right now and any inspiration or advice that you would like to share with them my recommendation is you know i like raytheon but you don't have to work for raytheon i liked working in the military but you don't have to join the military you know you the world is at your your fingertips and really look into you know what mission do you want to support and then try to work you know that's your goal and work back from there and say how what do i do to enable that so um you know you can serve a thousand different ways and i think everybody uh, has their own way that they they're able to do that so kind of be true to yourself you know don't don't uh, feel limited i love that um that's a powerful way to end. Well, let me say thank you on behalf of our schools participating across the country. Thank you. Uh, thank you again for your service. I think thank you. it's worth repeating. And to everyone watching in, thank you for uh, participating in Troutwood Live. We will see you next week. Thank you all. Thanks. You've been listening to Watching Trees Grow, presented by Troutwood. Don't forget to subscribe both to our podcast and our YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in learning more about Troutwood, please visit us at troutwood.com or follow us on social media. A special thank you to our guest today and our host, Jean Natale. Our producers are Jeff Davidek, Maggie Mayer, and me, Kristen Malone. This podcast is not intended to provide legal, investment, or tax advice on any of the topics we've covered. Thanks for listening. Join us next time on another great episode of Watching Trees Grow.